We would like to acknowledge the terrible people, the traditional owners of the land on which we record Extra Virgin Podcast. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Love Extra Virgin Podcast? You can support this show and help keep us ad-free through the coffee supporter feature. It's just like buying us a cup of coffee. It's totally up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the coffee link in the show description to support us now. Welcome to Extra Virgin, a podcast for gourmands who love to travel and travellers who love good food. I'm Natasha Mirosh. And I'm Sam Donsky. Between us, we've toured and tasted our way around more than 60 countries. Join us now as we meet the passionate people who make travelling the world so rewarding and so very delicious. Hey Sam. Hey Natasha. So today we're going to talk about slow travel, the two-wheeled kind actually, and I'm going to put up my hand straight away and fess up. I have done very little bike travel in my life. In fact, my bike is currently sitting under the house, probably rusted and definitely has cobwebs. (laughs) What about you? Have you done any bike travel? No, I really haven't. The closest I've got is some of those fat bike tours and holiday destinations like Paris, which were wonderful experiences, quite wonderful memories. Mm. But that's the extent of it for me. But today we're going to talk to someone who's done a great deal of bike travel, so I'm looking forward to hearing more about it. Today's guest is Tracy Croak, an award-winning travel writer who, in her own words, is addicted to roughy-tufty travel and gallivanting on her mountain bike. Tracy has been published in all of our favourite magazines and she won the Best International Story at the Australian Travel Writers Awards for Excellence in 2020, as well as Best Adventure Story for a Story on Palestine that hopefully she'll tell us more about later. All right, well, welcome to Extra Virgin, Tracy. Your adventures do sound amazing and we're really looking forward to hearing more. I'm always happy to come and talk about bike travel, so thanks for having me. And Sam, you've done something I haven't because I haven't been fat biking yet, so maybe we should swap places here. <laughs> it's quite an amazing experience for a non-cyclist to find themselves cycling across, say, the edge of the Place de la Concorde in Paris and just go, oh, my gosh, I really never thought I'd be able to do such a thing mm. and to see a city differently yeah. like that. Nice, yeah. And e-bikes have really opened it up for people and made it way more accessible. So For us lazy people. No, no, not really. No, because <laughs> in the, on an e-bike you can just go further. Even if you're fit, you can just go further and do more. So I'm a big fan of e-bikes. And also for people who might be recovering from an illness, there's all sorts of reasons for them. But they have made it like a step in between for people. And I know lots of people that have been quite put off actually by mountain biking because they've been chucked in too deep too quickly. So e-bikes are a really good way of introducing it. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. I guess we're not all star athletes, are we? (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not. No. (laughs) It it won't give you the skills. It doesn't automatically give you the skills, but it's exactly the same principle with any bike. It's always a good idea to get the basic skills. Well, Tracy, if I Google your name, almost every image that comes up has a picture of you with a bike. It's obviously a long and heartfelt love affair you have there. You grew up in Manchester in the UK. Is that where your love of mountain biking started? Not really. I suppose like all kids, I had a bike. It wasn't something that I took into adulthood. I guess I discovered in Manchester the other passion that I have, which is finding out what places are really like the reality of a country. And 
bike travel is my definite passion, but it's what that bike travel does, what it affords, what it offers me is what I'm also addicted to. So it really does take you through places so that you see everything in context and you see how the popular spots integrate with the wider country and you get to see the country Manchester is where I first learned about how wrong we are about everywhere else. And it's interesting because if you speak to somebody about, say, rocket science, I would never argue with a rocket scientist. I would go, you know rocket science and what you say goes and I know nothing about it. However, I think with travel and other places, everybody has a sense of a place through the media. And this sense of place is usually a very tiny slice of that place like less than I would say around one percent but for some reason the human condition we apply more like 99 percent of our knowledge to that so you and I and everybody else we could have gone to a country lived in a country or know that country well but there will always be people who would tell us that we're wrong because they've seen this stuff and always like to think of my reality pie and say well whatever if you've not been to a country whatever you think you know about it you've really got to take that as one percent and then leave the other 99 percent to an open mind so that when you go there you'll absorb it all for what it is Mm. what a great philosophy Mm. it's called the reality pie (laughs) Mm. reality pie going to use that So, Tracy, these days you live in Sydney, Australia, where I imagine the weather is a bit more conducive Mm -hmm. to outdoor activities than perhaps Manchester. How did you come to live in Sydney? Well, that came about because myself and my husband, we've always travelled quite a lot and taken sabbaticals in our career. So to go back to your other questions where we discovered mountain biking and we were in New Zealand and we were on a sabbatical that was supposed to be for six months and we didn't come back for 18 months so in our New Zealand part of that trip we had a go at mountain biking and we were in the Wanaka forest and that was the first time I experienced the flow which do you girls ski yes Uh, I have but no not really A, a lot of people who ski actually relate to mountain biking because it's similar in that when you acquire the skills there's a rhythm to it And if you're on the right kind of trails that are made for mountain biking, then you're going to experience this part where suddenly everything just sort of seems right and you feel at one with the bike. And I guess it's like riding a horse as well. You can get that feeling and there's just this feeling of flow and almost meditation, like you're not really in control, that something magical happens. And I suppose that coupled with the experience, the thrill, the environment, and that's what got us hooked. Also part of that trip was Australia. And my husband, he had work opportunities here. So we ended up a couple of years later after briefly returning to the UK, coming back to Australia with a work opportunity where we lived in Brisbane for four years. His work moved to Sydney and we've been in Sydney for the past seven years, I think now. Let's armchair travel a bit, Tracy. Tell us about some of the countries you've visited with your bike. Okay, so Macedonia is one that we quite a bit of travelling in. Travelled through Jordan on the Jordan Bike Trail. Then quite a few journeys in Australia, the Tour Mont Blanc, which is a circumnavigation of the Mont Blanc Massif. Then in Italy, we did the Tuscany Trail, which goes through all the beautiful wine and food regions. I'm up for anything that's unusual. So 
one journey took us to Botswana where we went on a, a safari by bike, which is the only one that I know of. I've not been able to find anything like that since. Sri Lanka was also more of a mixed road and bike journey. But it also might be worth just mentioning here that there's broadly two very different ways of traveling on your mountain bike. One is more about the adventure, the environment, the journey, the culture, where it's like a stitched together route through or a loop of a place or country. And then there's trail destination mountain biking. And very much like skiing, where you've got trails that are groomed for mountain bikes or built for mountain bikes specifically and built to all different skill levels and there it's more about the thrills and the trails although they can be in very beautiful places it's two different experiences and I guess different skill sets as well. Tracy, I mentioned Palestine earlier and reading the piece that you won the award for about that particular trip the country obviously touched you very deeply can you tell us about that journey and why it had such an effect on you? One of the other things that I tend to do is go off on whims a little bit. I, I will jump in if I get an opportunity to do something and it presents itself. I am one of those people who can be quite spontaneous. And I had an opportunity to go there while I was at an adventure conference in Jordan. So I had very good insights into certain challenges that can be presented when you go somewhere like Palestine through people that I'd met at the conference. And I was very fortunate to be able to go on a relatively new hike called the Palestine Heritage Trail, which I really wanted to do because it had been put there for all the reasons where my values in travel started, which was about discovering the reality for yourself. And again, this is why I spoke about my reality pie. And it's very important when you think about anywhere like Palestine, this reality pie comes into place. Because I'm afraid the human condition, we have fears and I have to continually check myself <laughs> to rationalise what I know that I've seen and been fed throughout my life as well in the media. So I take the reality pie and I go, okay, what do I know about Palestine? And it's all heavily stereotyped and I must apply 1% to that. And then the other 99% I wanted to learn about through people who live there, who have visited there, who have worked there and who were luckily as well at this adventure conference that could give me that very important insight. And then the rest of it was for me to discover. So this Palestine Heritage Trail is all about going through the West Bank on a trek and staying with families. And miraculously, this trail avoids all 600 Israeli checkpoints. There's only one point where you actually have to get in a car and be driven somewhere and reconnect again but the biggest reminder of all for me is that we just cannot judge places based on anything that we've read or been told or if we do that we apply what it truly is which is a small minority Mm. I'm not a cyclist as I said but I'm a walker and I've always found that being on foot somehow helps me to connect with other people uh, as, yeah. I, as I'm on my travels. They love to chat about where I'm going and what I'm doing and generally share their advice and their knowledge. So you do believe that the bike gives you a different experience to when you're travelling via other modes? 
definitely very similar to trekking. So I was an, a, quite an avid trekker before I discovered mountain biking, just off-road biking in general. But yes, the, the whole experience of being on a bike, I found quite surprisingly, it's like trekking and having all those experiences, but even more so because I've not quite worked out what it is about a bike that makes you even more approachable. But I think it's got something to do with the fact that most people in the world have bikes and can relate to a bike. And it's a leveler. It doesn't matter what background or country or race or creed you are. Most people can just relate to a bike. And the other thing is, I think when I've asked this question myself, and it's been very kindly translated through various local guides, for some reason, and I know this isn't true, but their perception is that they feel there's more of an effort somehow with a bike. I've done treks where even on a long trek, you'd be doing 100 Ks. Like in the same time on a bike, you can do a six, 700. And just purely that then all these experiences become more so. So on a bike, you can slow it down if you want and take it to trekking speed. You can spend more time in a place, hang around, but you can also speed it up if say there might be a day somewhere where it's quite samey samey and it's quite isolated so you might want to hit the trail a bit harder at that point and carry through and in those kinds of days we've done 120 k's so that's a long way on foot so I have gravitated a lot more to the bike in the last 10 years in particular is that it gives you that opportunity to see a lot more but also to slow down if you want. And can you talk about some of those experiences then that you've had with people and how welcoming they've been as you've travelled the world with your bike? So there's so many to choose from, but one was when we arrived in Laos over the Thailand border in the North Park, which is quite isolated. We were in a village and the whole village wanted us to go to a ceremony so they could bless us on our journey through the country as they were the first village we came across. So we stayed there overnight and they had a hall and the whole village gathered. Some people might know what this is, I didn't. The villages come round and they tie string around your wrist and it, it becomes like a bracelet and we kept these bracelets on for the whole journey. And what was really nice about that village as well, that it was the village where our guide lived. And I went with a company, so I advocate, particularly when you're going into areas like this, that you're with a responsible company, with a really good guide and a local guide, of course, because they will guide you, not just on the journey, but also through all those cultural experiences, only bring them all to life and make it all so much better better and memorable but will also help you so that we don't do anything that might be thoughtless or culturally wrong and equally you're also giving something back contributing more to the economy by hiring or at least going through a company that has done all the due diligence and done everything to hire local guides and also contribute something back in the right way. So that was one experience that came about that definitely wouldn't have come about had we not been with the guide. And then also on the more extreme level, I did an expedition through Kyrgyzstan and it was the first time we knew of the bikes across the Talis range. And here you're very much in the hands of the local people because they 
have knowledge of the area that actually isn't on the maps. Something else that I learned on my travels I didn't know because I'm a bit rubbish with maps is that there's areas of the world that aren't mapped in enough detail so that when you're traveling through them, hiking or biking, that it's not clear where there's a river crossing or a trail may have been washed away that's showing on the map. So you can imagine if you're looking for a trail that's not there anymore, it gets very confusing. You go down the wrong trail. Also, new trails could have been made by animals and by locals, and therefore that trail's not on the map. So it's very easy to get lost. And on this journey, it was a 10-day journey crossing the Talis Mountains. We got lost quite a bit, actually, despite <laughs> having a guide with the expedition company and a local guide, two horsemen, who were also locals who were carrying our kit. And we just had our day packs and survival gear. So without the help of the local nomadic people, we wouldn't have got through that journey. There was no way. We relied completely on their knowledge. And not only that, but their hospitality, because if we're in a tricky situation and we haven't quite hooked up with our horsemen again, who take a different route with the horses they often took the valley routes whereas we were taking the mountain routes on our mountain bikes if we hadn't quite hooked up with our horsemen they would insist on us sitting down on a blanket on a mountain top and having lunch with them so you get all these gorgeous random experiences that happen and the cultural thing to do is to share something back so we would give them something in return so it's all very much about how survival works in the mountains that how they create this community to help each other and that extends to frivolous foreigners who <laughs> for whatever reason get the idea that they're going to cross a mountain range on a bike and again that's what becomes my memory of Kyrgyzstan which is very kind hospitable people. What kind of things did you have to eat there when you sat down with them? I don't know anything um, about the food of that particular region. Mm. Yeah, well, there's a fermented mare's milk. And it's funny because I've heard all sorts of stories. It's right across Central Asia and it's got different names depending on where you are. But I just can't stomach alcohol when I'm doing those kinds of things. So I have to very rudely decline because it is rude to decline anything. But I usually ask the guide if you could please tell a little white lie <laughs> that I'm allergic to alcohol or something. Yeah. So I don't have to. Yeah, I have eaten some things in my time. There was one journey in an, another trekking one. We did try to do this by bike, but they couldn't get enough people, funnily enough. So it, it became a trekking group. But we did a trek through the Wakhan Corridor in Afghanistan. And again, it's very much Central Asian hospitality, where when you're taken into a community, they after you like their own family and this is pretty much a cultural rule that applies i've found across central asia but i think in afghanistan i experienced that stronger than anywhere and i could be wrong about that that's just my personal experience so in the wakan corridor it's very remote it takes five days to get there even to start the trek and basically you're trekking that if you know Afghanistan or seen it on a map, it's pan-shaped and it's got a handle. And the handle is the bit that you trek through. So you've got Tajikistan on one side, Pakistan on the other, and China at the end. And it's called the Wakan Corridor. And this is where two very different nomadic tribes live. And one tribe lives in these mountains a the whole year. It's very harsh. We were there in the summer and we had really cold weather and snow and blizzards in parts of the trek. I think the whole corridor is about 300 k's. We were there for 21 days. And you go from 
settlement to settlement. The other tribe, the Wacky people, so there's the Kyrgyz and the Wacky people. The Wacky people, they go up there in the summer and they live more in the lowlands. They kind of live between the high and the lowlands, but they both have the same culture. So you go from one settlement to the other and each settlement you get to, their guides go back and then you take the new guides and the new pack animals to do the next part of the trek. And we experienced, again, this culture exactly the same way that they really look after you. But mainly it was vegetables for our own food that we brought with us. To eat meat is quite rare, but unfortunately we hit a blizzard. And the settlement that we were with at the time, they lost quite a lot of sheep so we bought one of the sheep to share with the village and basically it got put in a pot (laughs) and the bit I picked out was its jaw and teeth (laughs) some people got bits of the leg we're going oh this is amazing and I've never been able to get over the fact that I ate something else's mouth (laughs) (laughs) even though tongue's normal it didn't get the tongue when I say tongue's normal I mean everything's normal it's all respectful and should be the way it is actually but tongue was normal for me because my mum's Irish she used to always get tongue but I hadn't experienced like the skull picking around the skull but again you learn about respect and the way that every little bit of the animal gets eaten and that's the right and the respectful thing to do to balance out those very interesting cultural experiences. I imagine you've also done some rides in places where the food has been an incredibly positive part of the experience. Can you tell us about any of those? Oh, many places. (laughs) I mean, the first thing is that obviously when you're on a bike, you're burning a lot of calories. And one of the big questions I get asked is, do you lose weight? (laughs) like, absolutely not. (laughs) You replace them immediately (laughs) with all this wonderful local produce. And one that comes to mind straight away is Tuscany. There's a trail there. It's actually part of the pilgrim route from Cambridge to Rome, but it goes through Tuscany. And Part of the original route is still there. So you're on a mountain bike and it's the rock and the slabs and what have you of the original route. But then to keep following the route, you've got to be on the road. So, of course, you're going through the gorgeous towns of San Gimignano and Siena. And I discovered on this journey right at the beginning in Florence, I discovered truffle pasta. And that was it. Like every day I was climbing this hill going because there are big hills in Tuscany. So take note, people. If you do go for some biking adventure, yeah, Tuscany is where you're going to really earn your dinner. But every day I got these hills thinking, truffle pasta tonight, truffle pasta tonight. (laughs) (laughs) I like the sound of this. Um, You just ride hard and eat harder. Mm. Yeah. And the other thing there was speaking of dishes that I thought was going to be really yucky, but was completely opposite. Pork lardo. So very thinly sliced pork fat. And I was like, oh, no, don't want anything. That doesn't sound nice to me. Just pure pork fat. But it's so thin. And then it just melts on these lovely type of bruschettas and all the homemade breads they do and it tastes completely like pork I just expected it to be very heavy and it wasn't the way they serve it is so thin and just right and then of course you've got all the lovely pastas and yeah Tuscany was a big one and and the wines oh and the other great thing that I forgot to mention they have really bike-friendly accommodation the farm places that also accommodate people but 
particularly mountain bikers, you can come in muddy and sweaty and quite disgusting. And it's like, take your shoes off, have a drink, here's some snacks. You can wash your bikes around there. So there are all these sort of logistics around bikes as well that it really helps when places are like that. But I think, you know how the Australians do the lap in retirement? Mm-hmm. So Tuscan is kind of the bike equivalent of that. I can just keep going <laughs> in my retirement, just living that life of uh, riding the bike. You will eventually get fat, though, so as you, you slow down on your bike, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Eat a bit less. You talked about riding often with guides. Do you ever do these rides by yourself, like completely alone? Not completely alone, like shorter stuff. I would day ride or something but doing a longer ride on my own I'm just not sure that's for me because I'm a bit too much of a social butterfly I absolutely love surprises and the unexpected for instance something that's just happened recently as I went to Tasmania and I was put with this group and it's a riding destination place in northeast Tasmania so it's not the point-to-point adventure it's where it's all made for bikes and it's really good fun in the Tasmanian rainforest. It's lovely, called Derby. And I was put in with this random group of people and we just got on like a house on fire and we had a great time. And I, I love that side of the travel as well. But also because after doing a really big journey through Australia called the Mawson Trail, that one goes from Adelaide to the Flinders Ranges and it's a thousand Ks and you need to carry everything including water because in the flinders you can't rely on any water sources whatsoever so there's a four-day period where you've got to carry a lot of water and i just found that not only do those sorts of journeys take a lot of planning but for me the enjoyment of the bike travel is having the energy to be able to spend a bit of time taking photographs meeting people listening to other people's stories and in those solo journeys it really is about the challenge and the take my heart off to the people that do them they do have these experiences of course they do but I found personally when we tried it that way it was tough and not a challenge that we couldn't achieve I'm really glad that we did it but the enjoyment of it for me I, I just prefer to have that relationship with guides with the local people and as I said contributing to the economy a bit more as I say people who go solo or unsupported definitely still contributing to the economy and everything's direct but I've just got more confidence knowing that I'm not going to do something thoughtless something harmful because I don't know or haven't got the knowledge so for me I just have more comfort around a guide that they're also that treasure trove of knowledge that you can completely learn from and make sure that everything you do is enjoyable not just for you but for everybody else. Well, let's talk about some practicalities. These days, we're all looking for a way to lessen our travel footprint, and travelling by bike does seem to be the perfect way to do it. What's your advice for a complete newbie? If I'm buying a bike with the intent to do long rides, what should I look for and what sort of equipment do I need? Well, first of all, I think any bike that you can get out on and do some rides and then just start there. It's all about time in the saddle. Don't count your Ks, I would say. I would say count your time, your hours in the saddle. Start with little and often. If you get more serious and you think, okay, I want to do a journey here, 
you would never buy an entry-level bike and always go to a proper bike place. So you don't want to be going to one of these superstore type places. And the reason is, is because a lot of those bikes aren't actually made to do the sorts of trails that I'm talking about. So get some really good advice from a bike shop. And you can start looking at things like rail trails and gravel trails that aren't technical that don't have lots of hills in them or anything too challenging and the other thing about rail trails they're going to have towns that sort of dotted along them i would also look at doing a supported trip look at a good company that is responsible and also gives really good level of information so what you can expect there things like difficulty like a grade of difficulty for the ride itself on a technical level and a grade of difficulty on fitness and some will you know one to five but the really good ones will obviously break it down and tell you what you can expect in each one if you're still not clear on it speak to the company i mean i've definitely got my favorite bike companies that i keep going back to because i just trust them there's a a lot of bike companies do get repeat business because of that reason as well they know exactly what they need to tell you about so equipment wise if you're going to go on a supported journey like i've just explained with a decent bike company you can hire a bike off them so you don't need to invest in a bike initially and also you'll get a chance to ride maybe a different few types of bikes and then you'll understand a bit more so my favorite bike is a full suspension bike which means well suspension if you imagine it it's squish i'm going to call it squish because there's all sorts of names for it like travel and what have you but if you imagine a squishy bike is going to be a bit more comfortable so it's got suspension on the front and the back they are slightly heavier but i just find that if you hit bumpy stuff it smooths it out a lot more now you can get bikes that have just front suspension which are really popular especially for the trails that aren't as technical and when I say technical they don't have rocks and roots and features like that that you have to negotiate so they work perfectly well on things like rail trails and gravel roads and the sorts of places you want to start just anywhere off-road really but never underestimate you need to have enough water you need to know what the elevation of that route is going to be if it's not a rail trail of course rail trails are also always fairly flat because they're all train routes if you're doing something that looks fairly easy you just need to check what the elevation is how much you're going to be climbing in that trail you need to be looking at how you're going to carry water i carry a camelback so the water isn't just in a bottle on my bike it's on my back and i can carry three liters that way so plenty of water and especially if you're going to be out for the whole day you just need to be looking at things like where you can get food but if not you need to be carrying some good snacks with you and then you always need to think about the weather so the weather especially in any kind of mountainous area and we know a lot about this in australia can be very unpredictable always i carry a waterproof top because that is what will save you when the weather turns against you and in some instances can actually get quite cold even if it's not raining the waterproof jacket always comes in in that kind of instance if it's not raining it can be really cold so it works in that kind of scenario as well so they're the sort of bare minimum things and lots of things come into play obviously who you're with whether you've got a guide many different things but it's quite rare that anyone would just think oh i'm gonna 
dive straight in and go bikepacking where you're carrying everything yourself and being completely independent. So I'm not talking about that kind of scenario. The best way to get into bike travel, I think, is to just go with a company that's offering a really nice experience like around the wineries or something like that because it's two interests you're having to go at one thing but you're also roping in another interest if you've got an interest in wine and food or photography there are lots of journeys that offer these sort of dual passions as well there's just so much out there there really is and like I say you don't have to invest in a bike immediately most companies offer bike hire so sounds doable Hmm. Kind of strange question because I guess most of us can ride bikes, but can you learn to ride a bike like an expert mountain biker? Do you need to? And the other part of that question is, do you have to have a certain fitness level? Well, yes, to both of those. The thing that gets people most when they have a go at any kind of bike travel or biking a longer distance is the bottom (laughs) So Mm. I can't overemphasize that time in the saddle is the big thing. It doesn't matter if you can just go on a ride even around where you live, that you just sat in the saddle day after day is what you've got to get used to first. And secondly, most people, even if you're going on a fairly tame experience or more of a cushy experience, I always find it's really, really good to ride hills anyway. So I'll practice on a hill for fitness. So I remember being in Brisbane, I used to go and ride Mount Kufa quite regularly as training just to keep my bike fitness up. Because if you can ride hills and you can ride them consistently, then everything else is going to seem really easy. And that's what you want. You want to be on a journey that's within your comfort zone, within your fitness level. But I was also really surprised as well when I started how far you can go on a bike, especially if it's not got anything too arduous in it. Like I say, the thing that will get to you is your bottom. So hardening up the sit bones, as we say, is the biggest thing. And nicks, the undershorts or the bike nicks aren't going to really help you. You need to condition that side of things. Now, the skill level, I can't put enough emphasis on this. If you can find somewhere, and most definitely in the cities you're going to find it, you can find a mountain bike skills coach or clinic or group that will give you the fundamentals. It's crucial because mountain biking, and when I say mountain biking, I'm talking about technical mountain biking now. You go to a trail destination centre, a bit like a ski centre. They've got different levels for different skill levels. Just learning, everyone can ride a bike, but... When you can ride bikes on dirt, over rocks, over roots, around these tight corners, all these other challenges, and when you can do it well, the off-road world is your oyster. And don't make the mistake I did, which was wait about five years before I got a proper mountain biking lesson. Mm. I learned through mates, and this is the thing about mountain biking as well, it's a great social culture, a great group of people who are always really enthusiastic and more than happy to help and will take you out on rides and show you skills. And I learned that way and there's nothing wrong with that except you will pick up some bad habits. And when I went on a proper skill session and got the fundamentals right, again, it changed my level of mountain biking and allowed me to progress. So I would never say that, yes, you're going to become an expert because advanced mountain bikers are like those ones that you see on youtube that are doing all these amazing radical things and that's sort of less than three percent and most of us are 
at that level where even when you're a bit older, you become a very solid intermediate mountain biker and be taking on some really rocky trails that do become fun because you've got the skill you don't feel that you're going to be eating rock anytime. You know how to handle the trails and handle the bike and it really becomes great fun. So that's the thrill of mountain biking, which is why these trail destination centres are so popular and everyone comes out grinning like kids because it's just like a, a, a fairground for kids once you've got the skills. But if you haven't got the skills, it can actually be quite terrifying. So really important and these skills can be acquired a coach is going to get you the fundamentals and then probably don't buy a bike until you've done that as well because you learn so much about what kind of bike you want what kind of trails you want to ride so all these centers you can hire bikes there get coaching there's different types of trails you can ride and you learn about what's for you and what you might want to have a go at and what you don't just as i say like skiing's got different types of skiing and disciplines in skiing and ski touring and backcountry skiing it's relatable in that way so i picked up skills pretty quickly but too late i should have had lessons much earlier i saw a zoom video we were having a zoom meeting one day with tracy and she had her camera on her bike she was taking us for a tour around where she lived and she went down a staircase on her bike. So when she's saying she's not very hardcore, <laughs> I think we have different levels. I just also wanted to tell you, when you talk about people coming out smiling after being taught how to mountain bike, I had actually completely forgotten until this moment that I have been mountain biking. And it was ah, in, there you go. Yeah, it was in Bali in December 2019. And I was there on a mill. And part of this was to go on this mountain biking ride and I was very reluctant to do it. I already had all my excuses made up and I was saying to the guide, I'll probably have to get off and push my bike, etc., etc." And I got on this bike and it was like, wow, this bike feels really different. And I started off down mm. the road and I was like, oh my God, it's really easy to ride this bike. And then I started going up the hill and I made it to the top of the hill. And I'm like, what the hell? I couldn't do this on a bike normally. And by halfway through, I was riding with the guide really fast while everyone else was <laughs> way behind us going, let's go faster, let's go faster. And so I was saying, I'm sorry, we have to wait for everybody. <laughs> I loved it so much. And I really felt like when you were talking about the feeling of connection to your bike a bit like a horse, I could actually feel that the bike and I were sort of one, if you like, you know, yeah. that I could control yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, and it, it was it was actually very thrilling. And I remember coming away from that trip now, I don't know what's happened since then, going, oh, my God, I've got to do this again, learn how to do this properly, because it was such an incredible experience. That's the feeling that I got in New Zealand that got me hooked, exactly that. And mountain bikes aren't cheap, but for that reason, well worth the investment. So there are mountain bikes out there, in inverted commas, which you can get for $500 but you can come out frightened to death and not enjoy <laughs> the experience at all because it's not responded in the way it's meant to it's not actually built for what it says it does on the tin it's all right <laughs> for maybe going on a canal trail but once you get in Bali were you in the forest on a single trail on dirt up on the road for a bit going up above the rice paddies yeah. then coming down the trail and through the rice paddies and yeah so you'd get some terrain there that might knock the bike around a bit. Yeah, it, it wasn't terribly challenging, but we did have to be careful, particularly going through the foresty bits. 
So what happens with your bike is your bike was absorbing that, making it fun for you, whereas a bike that's not got good suspension or proper suspension or any suspension, as soon as you hit something that's a little bit bumpy or lumpy in the rice field, it would just throw you, or jerk you around. And that's where people get really, oh, I don't like this. So it's important to go into mountain biking like anything that it's not going to work with the sort of cheapest product on the market or not going to work as well. It's not going to have that feel. Can you give us a ballpark figure on what that might run to? Ooh. <laughs> right, look, it has changed a little bit with COVID because bikes are very hard to get into the country at the moment. The prices are a bit inflated and also secondhand bikes too, but that's not going to last forever. But perhaps just bear in mind if you start looking now, they are a little inflated. But the golden rule before was, if you want a proper mountain bike, you're going to have to start at a grand, and that's not for a full suspension. A decent full suspension mountain bike is going to start from about three. Now, after that, it gets down to quality of components and weights. Unless you want to win a mountain bike race, you certainly don't need to go to the top of the cost level because you are going to see mountain bikes out there for like 12 15 grand but they're the ones that have titanium this and lightweight that and they're for people who are racing at a top level or pro bikes again it's something that you evolve with it's how important it is to you i don't mind spending money on a bike because I love it. I use it. It's part of my social life. It's my fitness. It's my health. It's so many things that I'm quite happy to sacrifice lots of other things to have a really good mountain bike. And then you get into all sorts of other things like I want to have more gears because of this reason. And then you'll spend money as you go, just depending on what type of mountain bike you end up. But even on the rail trails, I take my full suspension lightest bike because I just find I don't want to run what you call a hardtail bike which would be a bit easier on those easier trails but I still take my full suspension bike and I just find that my lightest full suspension bike for easier trails and longer distances is pretty much the thing that works for everything for me it's only when I get to the thread bows and this kind of stuff that I get my more meaty version out. (laughs) Okay, we're not going to let the chance go for some expert recommendations here. We talked a little bit about beginner rides. Give us a good destination in Australia for a beginner. Best destination for a beginner is Derby, Tasmania in the northeast because it's got lots of different groomed mountain bike trails that are perfect for beginner. The only thing I'd say is don't think that everywhere's like that because it's one of the best in the world. It's a world-class destination. What about somewhere more challenging? What's the equivalent of a black run of bike travel in Australia? Well, the destination places all have black runs like the ski destinations, so you can make it as challenging as easy as you want. But there are specific parks that are being built for that 3%, that the person who can do the stuff on YouTube, who can fly Mm -hmm. off things and do these ridiculous street jumps and things. I would say the park for that is Maidina, also in Tasmania, because it has a high level of black trails compared to other trails. But with the caveat that all these destination centres in Australia have the black trails. The other mountain bike meccas, of course, in that respect, are in New Zealand, mm. Queenstown and Rotorua. Right. Well, I don't think we'll be on any black runs <laughs> too soon, but anyway. <laughs> what about best scenery? Is there somewhere you'd suggest that just takes your breath away? Cairns, I've, I have to talk briefly 
about Cairns because it's where mountain biking started. And Glenn Jacobs, he works a lot in tourism because of the attraction of mountain bike trails to tourists, which has gone huge in the last five years, definitely. Glenn Jacobs is one of the most famous trail builders in the world. His philosophy is so brilliant because the culture of mountain bike trails is that a trail's made, the best riders ride that trail when they make it for them. And if there's a feature on the trail that's really hard, then they make what's called a beeline or a chicken line for people to go around the feature. Now, Glenn Jacobs has reversed this philosophy. So he makes the trails for the 80 percenters. And if he builds a big feature, if the experts who got the skills to go off the trail and take the feature into their ride. So anywhere Mm. that's a Glenn Jacobs built trail or World Trail is his company, you're going to have that extra confidence that when you're riding that trail, mostly you're not going to come across something really freaky unless it's actually in the built environment and they've not been able to get around it. But then there'll be warnings. Glen and World Trail, they build the trails for the majority. And he lives in Cairns. And that's where he started in the 80s, 90s, building trails. And now there's 700 kilometers of trails in Cairns alone. Now that's a mix of black trails and blue trails and forest trails and fire trails but all that network is pretty much down to the culture that he and his mates started and he became so good at it because he builds them to this environmental standard and in harmony with the environment and sustainable because of the massive weather challenges you get in Queensland so a lot of the time these trails can get washed away he's got this trail design where he's had to design these trails around the weather around those storms so that they survive and they happen to be these big kind of roller coaster fun smooth up and down trails that then the rest of the world went wow we want you to come and build this for us because they work with the environment so well and that's what brought all the mountain biking to australia the world cup he's built the olympic trails all that stuff that's happened in mountain biking in Australia is pretty much down to Glenn Jacobs, who still lives in Queensland, in his house, on the trail network that he very first created in the late 80s, early 90s. And his company built the trails in Derby that I talked about through the Tasmanian forest, which is why they're so beginner friendly as well. That doesn't mean to say that other companies, Dirt Art are another company that done a lot in Threadbo and again their trails are all also this beginner level to expert levels. What about a bucket list? Do you have somewhere in Australia that you still really really want to get to and what about somewhere else in the world? Yeah in Australia there's a lot happening in the Red Centre. I've never ridden those trails although I've done the Molson Trail which is out back in desert but not in the Red Centre so Red Centre is definitely on the list and internationally I've never been to Japan So I want to go and do a bike journey there because I think it's the perfect place to take a bike in terms of the scenery and the culture and taking it all in. But also, I'd really like to do what you've done, Sam, which is a fat bike journey somewhere in the Arctic. I've seen stuff in Greenland, so something like that. Really wild out there. Sounds amazing. I tell you what, until today I thought I was (laughs) (laughs) well-travelled. I don't feel very well-travelled anymore (laughs) after talking to you. (laughs) Listeners, at our website, extravirginfoodandtravel.com, you'll find links to some of Tracy's articles. 
including a great one just for beginners, and also details of where you can buy the book that she contributed to, which is called Ride, Cycle the World, as well as some photos of her incredible adventures. Well, that's it for this episode. While I'm not sure I'll ever be ready for the kind of hardcore adventures you've had, Tracy, you've certainly piqued my interest about bike travel. Well, you've certainly piqued my interest about food, (laughs) which is is always important. It's been great chatting with you today, Tracy. Thanks so much for spending some time with us. Mm, Some time off the bike. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks, as always, for listening. From us to you in whatever far-flung part of the world you may be, Until next time, bon voyage and bon appétit. You've been listening to Extra Virgin, a podcast for the Epicurious. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, you can follow Extra Virgin Food and Travel on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. If you haven't already, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts and subscribe, rate and leave a review. 